Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 1, recorded 17 June 2015. Scotland. It is a land of incomparable beauty, and its people have been voted amongst the friendliest in the world. Welcome to the premiere episode of Under the Tartan Sky, a new podcast about all things Scottish, from bagpipes to whiskey. I'm Glenn Moyer, one of an estimated 50 million Scott diaspora spread around the world. In the coming weeks, this podcast will explore Scotland, its people, culture, lifestyle, and history from many, many angles. In other words, just about anything found under the tartan sky will be discussed here. I like to envision that my guest and I are sitting around the fire sharing a wee dram or a cup of tea, and I invite you to join us. We begin this journey with a look at what's happening in Scotland right now. 2015 is the year of food and drink, a means of promoting Scotland's amazing larder to consumers worldwide and encouraging them to visit, to experience it firsthand. So unless you're driving, put the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, and I'll be right back with my guest to talk about haggis, Arbroath Smokies, deep fried Mars bars, and much, much more. Here in Scotland, 2015 is the year of food and drink, a celebration of the country's outstanding natural larder and produce. From artisan cheeses and world-renowned whiskies to succulent seasonal berries and Arbroath Smokies, there's an abundance of delicious regional flavours round every corner. Discover the landscapes, people and culture that make our food heritage so unique and enjoy a feast of events and festivals throughout the year. Come and experience a true taste of Scotland. Each year, Visit Scotland, the National Tourism Organization, sets a yearly theme to promote tourism to and within the country. Previous themes have included the Year of Creativity, 2014's Year of Homecoming, in which I visited Scotland twice, and in 2016, the coming Year of Innovation, Architecture and Design. But this year, 2015, is the Year of Food and Drink, and joining me here, under the tartan sky, is Fiona Richmond, Project Manager for Scotland Food and Drink. Fiona, welcome, and let's begin by you telling me a little bit about the organization Scotland Food and Drink and how it relates to the themed year of food and drink in Scotland. Okay, great. Yes, well, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to to talk to you and and have the opportunity to tell our American friends about what we're doing over here um, in 2015. Uh, Scotland Food and Drink is um, essentially the industry leadership body for the food and drink sector. So what we do is grow the value of that sector and we have a very specific target to reach by uh, 2017 of $16.5 billion. Um, The target is with, sorry, the... um, the sector is currently worth uh, 14 billion, so it's a very, very successful, um, you know, world to be in. And we're also trying very hard day in day out to uh, develop our reputation as a land of food and drink, both at home and abroad. So, what would be the number one thing that you would want people around the world then to know about Scotland food and drink? I think I would want them to know that. Um, Food and drink is a key sector in Scotland. It's actually a fastest growing sector. We have an amazing ladder of produce. 
I'm sure you know um, there are are beef for Scotch beef, for Scotch lamb, seafood, salmon, dairy, soft fruits, craft beer is also, you know, rising. Um, Got some really incredible products and I'm not sure if everyone knows that um, as well as you might. So we really want to say we're working very hard in Scotland uh, with other organisations to um, promote Scotland's larder around the world. Do you have a perception problem? And I bring this to mind. Uh, Mark Sutherland of The Telegraph wrote just a few days ago, as a matter of fact, um, and I'm quoting here, he says, Scottish food in America has the same status as the Labour Party in Scotland. You know it's <laughs> you know it's there, but you don't like the thought of it and hope never to have to partake of it in person. Is that a valid perception, do you think? Oh, and if so, goodness. why well, do you think it is? Well, my heart sinks when I hear that. <laughs> I mean, every, every country has its stereotypes, and, you know, there's no doubt that we have had that stereotype of, you know, the deep-fried... Uh, Mars bar and deep fried foods, um, that, that stereotype um, has been around for some time, um, but I think it's, it's definitely one that's, uh, that's misplaced. And um, a journalist going to bring that up a lot, and, and you know, even now, and I think it's a bit lazy because that's not what we're about here, that's not how people eat, and we have got you know, really, really terrific uh, produce. I think that does us a great uh, disservice. I'm glad you brought up Deep Fried Mars Bar because mm-hmm. I have friends who said, don't you dare talk about that with her. And I felt like I have to because it is one of those things that as a tourist coming to Scotland, it's one of the, when I first said I was going over, one of the first things people said is, oh, you've got to try a Deep Fried Mars Bar. Mm-hmm. Let's, <laughs> I, mean, I let's, don't know yeah. anyone who's tried one, but I know. It, and, and it comes up a lot. <laughs> let's and he, debunk that right now. What's the truth behind that? Well, I mean, it's, it's funny because I have a, a, an academic friend who's actually writing a book on this subject. Um, she uh, received uh, funding from the Wellcome Trust in London to, to research this stereotype, where it originated, how it's played out in the media, and what the impact has been on, on, our, on, our, on our health. Um, she's uh, about halfway through that. So I think that would be enlightening because nobody's ever actually studied it before. Um, because, you know, the stereotype will end at some point. Most most of them do. Um, so we'll wait, wait and see when it eventually goes away. But um, journalists, very often, even now, when you know when our reputation, I think, has uh, grown considerably and people know about, you know, see all these natural ingredients that we have there, journalists still very often can't resist mentioning the deep-fried mass, right? Even if they go on then to refute it, they still have to mention it. So it's quite hard to get away from, but I think, you know, we, we certainly moved on from that here uh, in Scotland. And there is a story about where it originated and, you know, it's, it does exist, but um, I don't know anyone who's actually uh, eaten one. <laughs> well, and I've been twice, even as a tourist, and, and I've not had one. So, mm-hmm. um, and you said earlier on, and I think that's true, I mean, Scotland has tremendous, Highland beef is one of the finest, yeah. uh, leanest cuts of beef there is. You've got the lamb. You obviously have an incredible larder of uh, natural and fresh seafood. So why is it you think that Scottish, the Scottish diet gets such a bad rap as being unhealthy? Well, I think what I mean is that there is a, a paradox, and you know the Scottish government have recognised this. And I don't know if you've heard of the Good Food Nation ambition. Um, the Good Food Nation uh, was launched um, fairly, fairly recently, and there's now a Scottish Food Commission in, in place to try and um, implement the Good Food Nation objectives. But, but that uh, Good Food Nation document was developed to recognise the paradox between all this, you know, fabulous natural naturally healthy produce that we have in Scotland and the fact that on, on the other hand um, we have um, about, I think we're about the fifth most obese nation in the world and we do have quite a poor health record so that why is it we have all this gorgeous produce but you know on the other hand 
people's diet um, isn't in this country isn't quite as good as it could be. So how much of Scotland Food and Drink, the, the campaign that's going on right now, how much of that is geared to uh, persons like myself who are overseas, not just in the United States, but all around the world, and how much of it is geared toward um, promoting the industry within the borders of Scotland? Yeah, it, it's both. I mean, there's certainly a, a big international uh, focus because we do want you know visitors to come to Scotland for the food and drink and to realise that you just try and challenge some of these stereotypes and, and, and show them the the wonderful, you know, food and drink experiences that await them when, when they're here. But it is also very much about telling people, you know, on their doorstep, you know, discover this, you know, great produce around you, you know, get to know your suppliers and the producers and, you know, celebrate everything that, that we have. So it's definitely a bit of both. I know the Scottish love a good Kaylee. I mean, let's face it. Yes, the I know. <laughs> and it's great to see visitors when they're here. You put a Kaylee on and they just absolutely love it. It's, it's great fun. The Scots do love to party. I will give them that. Yes. And, uh, and I know there are a number of events associated with the Year of Food and Drink. Uh, I, I see there are foodie Twitter chats going on about Scotland. So can you tell me about some of those events and how do those tie into the campaign? That's right. Yes. Um, well, there are hundreds of events happening across the year. Obviously, 2014 was a huge year for us with the Commonwealth Games and the Ryder yes. Cup and Homecoming. So Year of Food and Drink was, you know, the perfect themed year to follow on from that. But some of the work we did last year with events, uh, large and small, was about improving the quality of food and drink events. We worked very hard um, with the Glasgow Commonwealth Games uh, organising a committee to develop a food charter. So that food charter was used to inform the sourcing of food for the Games. It was then adopted by the Ryder Cup and key homecoming events. Now, for this year, in the year of food and drink, all the funded events are asked to follow um, a food charter as well, which is drawn from the one that we developed uh, last year. So it's a really great legacy because, you know, turn the clock back 10, 15 years, food and drink events wasn't as good as it could be, but there's absolutely been a, a sea change and uh, we're trying to encourage, um, you know, events to, to really look to their local and uh, Scottish suppliers and, and serve great food and drink at that event because it's not just something that you have to do. It's, it's Food and drink at an event is, is an absolutely fundamental part of the whole uh, visitor experience. So um, there was a fund uh, launched to help organisers um, with their with their sourcing and enhance the food and drink at their event. So there's a whole programme of things going on. Um, it's a really, really busy time. So every weekend there's something else taking place and, you know, there's a really good geographical spread as well. So the year has been a brilliant um, way for organisers to sort of, you know, get excited and, and plan events and do something a bit different and, and really work on their food and drink offering. Uh, next week, for example, uh, next or this, this coming weekend, I should say, there's an event called Cake Fest. I don't know if you've heard about that. No, I don't think I have. No, Cake Fest, um, it's, it's organised by a, a chap who lives in Edinburgh, but he's run this event in other parts of the UK, and actually I think probably elsewhere in the world, but never brought it to his home city. And essentially it's a community event where um, community bakers um, are asked to sort of come together and make a cake out of an Edinburgh landmark. And everyone will bring their cakes to the Botanic Gardens, the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh, uh, on Midsummer's Day, so it's next uh, Sunday. And uh, the, uh, an edible map of Edinburgh will be created using all these uh, different organisations and community groups' uh, cakes. So it's a whole edible map of Edinburgh, and it's a, I think it'll be really great fun. It looks fantastic, and I think you know for everyone who's participated, you know these are not professional bakers, just amateurs who love baking and you know love love.
of Edinburgh. Um, so I think that's going to be um, a really good fun event at the weekend. So if you're in Edinburgh, you can actually just, um, you can have your cake and eat it too. Have a piece you of can. the Scots yes. Tower, if you're, <laughs> the Scots Monument, if you'd like. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. So lots of events up and down the country. And, um, you know, we're really delighted with the response. You know, there was a quite a big demand for, for the funding. And people are, are, you know, definitely taking food and drink more seriously now than, than they did, say, a few years ago. They realise that, um, you know, people, the public won't accept just, you know, bog-standard food. You know, quality is absolutely critical now. And uh, it's great to see event organisers getting behind the whole uh, year of food and drink messaging and also appreciating the larger produce that uh, is around them. One of the things that struck me when I was in Scotland um, was the importance of local sourcing. And you just touched on that a moment ago, mm-hmm. that, that people won't accept or don't want to accept bulk food. No. Um, it's very important. I know when uh, I dined with some friends at Three Chimneys out on the Isle of Skye. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 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 It was it's an, amazing. It, Shirley Spears, please. Yes, it's yeah, fabulous. Fabulous. I'd heard about it. And then uh, I had a jeweler on Skye who became a friend of mine and who crafted a bespoke bracelet for me. And so I took he and his wife to dinner at Skye as a th- at uh, Three Chimneys as a thank you. Oh, how nice. Um, And it was a delightful evening. And I noticed even in their menu, they make a point of telling you where things were sourced from. And I don't see that a lot here in the States or when I've traveled Mm. elsewhere. Why is that an important aspect of the food and drink? Oh, it's it's massively, massively important. But just to get back to the the Three Chimneys quickly, Shirley Spear, she, I don't know, you may not know this, but she is the the head of the Scottish Food Commission, which was a a really um, inspirational choice. Oh, I didn't know that. She understands food and produces and the importance of, of, of that food culture aspect. And she um, is the um, head of the, the Scottish Food Commission, so she's got a very important and, and exciting role, and I think she was a, an inspired choice because she will help us deliver that Good Food Nation ambition. But she's uh, been, oh, she's an absolute hero, really, and, and been doing so much uh, for the island and for Scottish food for a very long time, you know, sourcing everything as much as possible, you know, from the island and, you know, from mainland Scotland. Um, the, I remember I went a long time ago and had the hand-dyed scallops and marmalade pudding. I don't know if you had the marmalade pudding. It's a bit of a signature yes. dish on the menu. Yes, yes. And, and had the uh, their uh, cullen skink as well. Cullen skink, yes. Um, yeah, it was, it was an incredibly delightful menu uh, and, yes, and a wonderful dining experience. I, I've recommended it many times to friends oh, that say they're going to Scotland. I'm so pleased. But, but it's, City of Three Chimneys is a good example because people come from all over the world just to go and eat at the Three Chimneys. Um, you know, and that's just shows you the power of, of good, you know, good food and drink and, and that whole experience. Um, and there's a new chef just in there now who was a MasterChef finalist um, a couple of years ago, I think it was, and he's just moved up there from St Andrews. So it's a very exciting career uh, move for him. But getting back to the Providence thing, I mean, this is what we talk about all the time. We're, because we, there are certainly still many cases where businesses, they might be sourcing Scottish produce, but they're not telling the story. And um, if you tell the story around the, the produce, you know, uh, honour the producers, you know, just say, you know, add in cheese rather than cheese, you can um, can actually command a bit of a premium for that. So that we have this um, uh, research that shows that if you, people will pay a bit more for food that's of Scottish or regional uh, origin. So there's a real incentive there for, um, for businesses to mention the provenance and make a bit of a play of that because they can it actually makes good business sense as well as giving a really uh, strong visitor experience because people they want to hear the stories they want to you know 
um, sort of connect with that and, and have a more authentic experience. So Visit Scotland are obviously doing a lot on that through their Taste Our Best scheme, which you may or not may not be aware of. This is an accreditation scheme for uh, establishments that are serving at least 40% Scottish produce and also, again, part of that accreditation scheme to, to, to be awarded it, they have to um, work on the provenance and uh, statements on, on their menu and actually talk about where the food is from. So that's a really growing scheme. There's, I think, approaching 700 businesses on that now and we're going to see an awful lot more focus on that. And uh, there are other projects as well which, uh, which do similar things and really saying, you know, provenance matters. Tell the story behind the project. Your, your you know, customers want to know it, and it's also good for business. Uh, and I have to agree with that because, again, going back to my example at, at Three Chimneys, um, I remember on the Cullen Skink there was also a black crumb and there was uh, a, an egg yolk on top, and the menu went to the point of telling me that that was a locally sourced croft egg. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that just added to the experience. I mean, yes, you come to Scotland and you expect to have Scottish food, but you, but to know that it came from literally perhaps just down the street from from mm-hmm. the restaurant you're dining in to me made all the difference in the world it, it really does. did it really did enlighten and enhance the experience right. yes um i was at a, a restaurant in glasgow called Catholic and dolphy which is a real institution in glasgow it's been around for you know many many years and you know just reading the menu it's a very simple menu it hasn't changed that much over the years but they just focus on really quality ingredients and they mention you know where it's from so either sky crab badder scallops uh, all these, you know, and just it just instantly evokes, you know, a, a picture of, of the place yes, and, and yes. what you associate with that place, and it just makes it much more appealing and interesting. And then, you know, you can ask about it, and you know, ask about suppliers, and it just makes for a much better dining experience. You don't need to go over the top. I mean, you don't need to write um, screens on your menu. It's about keeping it simple, but but you know, telling 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 that story and uh, and and not. Um, not hiding away uh, from uh, where the, the food has come from. And we can't, of course, talk Scottish food without talking. We got past the deep-fried Mars bar, so let's get on to the <laughs> to the issue of, I think you know what's coming. Let's get on to the issue of haggis. Haggis, now, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> now, now, i got to tell you, I love haggis. I've mm-hmm. tried it. I insisted on trying it. I had it two or three times when I was over, and, and I find it quite enjoyable. And yet, you know, a lot of my friends here turn up their nose at even the thought of trying it yes. uh, because of the ingredients, I suppose. But yet, yes. uh, I was reading a report, in, and I think it was of Scott Origin just recently, that said if you've had a hot dog, you've got nothing to fear mm-hmm. from haggis. Mm-hmm. And I know there are efforts underway to lift the long-standing ban here in the yeah. United States to allow the importation of haggis. Why is it, do you think, haggis is such a misunderstood dish? Well, I mean, it's, it's it's a good point. And funnily enough, I was I was working in a hotel last night, so just uh, and uh, I could hear the visitors asking the waitress, "Oh, um, can you tell me what is haggis?" You know, and I yeah. hear this a lot. And I was doing two things at the Ryder Cup last year. So many people came up to me, and you know, visitors around the world, "Have you got any haggis?" Um, so it was really interesting. So it, and you get lots of you know kind of different reactions from people uh, when you tell them about it. They're just a bit scared, I think, because. They not don't really understand what's in it. They think it's a bit, ooh, you know, uh, gory or something. Um, but you know, we've been eating these kind of dishes for a very long time. There are also lots of variations of it, you know, around the world. So it's not something that's particular to Scotland. Um, but most people, I would defy anyone not to like the taste of it because it is so delicious. It's got a it lovely is. texture. It's got a spice to it. 
Um, you can also use it in so many different ways now, and that's the interesting thing about you know McSween, who you'll know are uh, a huge, um, a legendary haggis uh, producer in Scotland. Yes, I've got a yes. very long history in Edinburgh, and they are trying to make haggis much more accessible to to the masses. So they have developed um, microwavable haggis, different varieties, um, and the you know a wonderful. Uh, Joe McSween uh, produced a wonderful book, uh, The Haggis Bible, um, about a year or so ago. So she told the history about her family business, but also included all these fantastic recipes to show people that you can use haggis in lots of different ways. So haggis lasagna, haggis on a baked potato, haggis on a panini, that mm-hmm. type of thing. You know, it doesn't it doesn't need to be the the haggis nips and tatties, of course, that is an amazing way to eat it. But trying to appeal, I think, to a broader audience and to also show that haggis can be eaten all year round. It's not just for uh, January. But we do see haggis on the menus a lot in, uh, you know, little haggis balls or haggis and starters and used in sort of different ways. So I think it's just, a, it's just a thought of it. And, of course, I think people now are a bit more removed from the source of their food and, you know, they get a bit, ooh, turn their noses up at sort of butchery or what actually goes on behind the the the, the, uh, the product, you know, how actually is it made, where does it come from, people tend to kind of think block that out often um, but um, it's good for people to understand what it is, how it's made and the quality ingredients that, that go in it and the taste of course is just amazing, it's just delicious it, it, I agree, I, I, I found it to be quite delicious and, and I'm amazed at the number of people who just tell me they absolutely would never try it, oh no no, and I said trust me if I ever got you to eat it and you didn't know what it was, you would think it delicious absolutely, um, so it's getting absolutely. past that perception of what it is and you mentioned that it's not necessarily restricted to Scotland and I kind of liken it here in the United States to Cajun boudin, which is another mm-hmm. thing that a lot of people go, oh, no. but mm-hmm. And the same thing with black pudding and, and over here blood sausage that That's some right. people, it's just exactly. not for them, and, and I appreciate that. But absolutely. I, I'm surprised the number of people who just absolutely insist they will not try yep, haggis, and I, I think they're missing out. I know, I know, exactly, but maybe we'd eat something that's processed and full of additives and rubbish instead, yes. you know, with hags is a very, <laughs> uh, very delicious and natural product. I mean, the Italians, they've got bolito misto, which again, you know, lots of meat, so I think we need to just be a bit more open-minded, and hopefully if people taste it, they'll enjoy it and realise there's absolutely nothing to, to fear. And, uh, you know, McSween and others, I know are, you know, fighting hard to, to try and get that ban lifted, because that would, you know, be open up a lot of opportunities for uh for our haggis suppliers. Yeah, and let's hope that as more and more, at least from my venues, more and more Americans visit Scotland and sample it there, that they'll come back and, and want and create a demand for it, perhaps, Definitely. as an import over here Definitely. in the United States. Definitely, yes, Ab- absolutely. Let's talk about a couple of other uh, of the iconic uh, products we think of when we think of food and drink. And uh, naturally, we think of drink in Scotland. You think of scotch and whiskey, and um, and it's a very booming and, and successful import business. But there is another drink in Scotland that's not perhaps as well known outside the borders, um, and yet it is an iconic uh, product of Scotland. I'm talking about the soft drink, Iron Brew. Now, Scotland is one of the few, if not the only country in the world, where Coca-Cola is not the leading uh, the yes. top-selling soft yes. drink. It is yes. Iron Brew. What is, I mean, I've had it. I know what it is. I buy it here in the United States. But for listeners who maybe are not familiar with it, tell me a little bit about Iron Brew. Oh, well, I'm probably not the best person to ask that question of. I can't remember when I ever actually tasted it, um, to be perfectly honest. But it is what I can see is that it's, it's a bit of an institution here. You know, it is a well-loved drink. They're very um, smart with their marketing 
and you know very um you know do lots of you know engaging consumer campaigns and it is just a it is just a much loved drink but i'm probably not the best person to, to ask about its taste or or how it's made or anything like that because it's because i i don't really know too much about it so i'm not the best person to speak to about that <laughs> okay well, a very tell successful, me. <laughs> you know a very very successful scottish brand well i'm but sorry i didn't i didn't mean to get you on the spot there no, 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 that's all right. No, not a problem. But what, what we'll also see is that there's lots of other interesting things happening in the drinks uh, sector. We, uh, just on the soft drink side of things, obviously we've got, um, you know, Highland Spring is the, the leading uh, brand of Scottish water, uh, of water in the UK, sorry. So that's UK-wide. It's the number one uh, water, still water brand. And we have um, recently, uh, fairly recently actually, is a company in Aberdeenshire called Summerhouse Drinks. It's making... Um, lemonade and also uh, launched the first um, Scottish tonic water um, just a couple of months ago. We've got lovely juices, you know, uh, curry bridge, apple juice, uh, bouvrage, so some really nice soft drinks uh, using kind of local fruits and interesting combinations of things. Curry bridge do a lovely juice with sea buckthorn, which we're seeing more and more now on menus. And uh, on the alcoholic side, uh, gin, as you may be aware, has undergone a huge revival in Scotland, indeed across the UK, but very, very strong in, in Scotland. And I think there's over 50 artisan gin companies now in Scotland. There's one in uh, Edinburgh called Edinburgh Gin. I don't know if you've ever tried that or seen that on your travels. You know, I haven't. I'm, I'm not a gin drinker, but I have to tell you, I did just discover, um, I am a hot air balloonist by hobby and, and ah. in part by my vocation. And I, I've seen the Hendrix Gin hot air balloon for years and years and years here in the United States. Never realized it was a product of Scotland until just recently. And I, ah. I just about a week ago bought my very first bottle of uh, of Hendrix gin, and, and so I'm, I'm not yes, much okay. not much of a drinker to start with. I, I am uh, I've developed a, a palate for Scotch, and so I'm I'm exploring that, and so now I'm exploring gin, and started with Hendrix, but I do know there there is a, a budding uh, gin industry in Scotland as well, as you say. Yes, absolutely. And last night, in fact, I was at a talk um, by Edinburgh Gin, Alex Nicol, and he exports, um, you know, all over the all over the world. But there's a very strong history of, of gin making in Edinburgh in particular that dates back way, you know, to the 1700s. So there's a real heritage there that was kind of lost for a while. Um, they do, you know, wonderful flavours, drawing on, on Scottish ingredients, you know, where possible. Um, but I think they've also opened up, you know, gin to a different, you know, customer and... Um, uh, you've got, you know, Lelda Flower Gin or Rhubarb, Raspberry, you know, some really, really lovely favours, but um, very, very high quality products. And there are, you know, many other, um, you know, fantastic artisan uh, gin suppliers as well. So it's interesting to see what's going on in, in, in that market. And craft beer, of course, um, is, is, is huge now. There's over 100 craft brewers in Scotland and they're now working together. There's a, a, a Scottish uh, Beer Alliance. So some very uh, exciting things happening in, 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 in those drink sectors too. What is it about Scotland that, that sort of embraces and encourages the entrepreneur? And, and I see this even in food and drink, um, because what comes to mind is uh, in my travels and my involvement on the, on the Internet with friends in Scotland, uh, I have friends who run uh, small craft businesses, not just not breweries per se, but you mentioned rhubarb. And, and I have uh, there's a friend who runs a little company called We Sweetie, who does custom sweets. And another oh, yes. friend who runs uh, the We Fudge Company uh, and does a lot of uh, specialty fudges that are sold in markets around Scotland and also for corporate type programs. 
Um, another friend uh, known to me is the Chili Pixie, and she does little chili-flavored uh, jams and jellies. And, and there are, I find that there are a lot of these types of um, what we in the States would refer to as mom-and-pop kind of businesses. Mm. Uh, and oftentimes they are businesses that the person runs aside out of their home and as an aside perhaps to a day job yeah um, and yet they're very successful but very entrepreneurial what is it that that yeah. that encourages yes. that spirit yes. especially yes. in Scotland yes yes I mean about 80 percent of the businesses in Scotland are family run and I think about 70 percent if I hope I got that right certainly a high proportion of them are less than 10 employees they are quite small businesses and when there are many many uh, lifestyle businesses, so you know, might be someone making something in their home kitchen. They don't necessarily want to go down, you know, the big national listing or or export, but they're quite happy with local markets. But there are others, of course, who are very, very driven, and maybe start in the home or start small, but you know, they want to expand and grow their business, obviously, and create more em- employment. But I think Scotland has always had a you know a strong entrepreneurial spirit but there's there's certainly plenty of support out there now for companies and that's obviously what what, what we uh, do and work with other organizations to deliver is to help these companies grow help them find new market opportunities help give them the skills and the knowledge they need to be able to develop their business and, and navigate that whole food and drink landscape because it's, it's quite confusing if you know as a as a new business think well where do we get support what do i need to do there's, there's so many uh, things that need to be considered and, and very often you know the companies who might have gone into this just because they really love food you know and I love hearing stories about you know, people who've given up their corporate day jobs because their real passion is in food and drink and you know it's, it's very very hard work and you know they have to do everything all by themselves you know the marketing the making the selling and so it can be really tough for these small businesses and we're just so proud of them because they are so committed and determined and uh, you know we work hard to try and help them as much as, as we can and I think you know we've got all the sort of traditional uh, you know products but again we're seeing a lot of innovation and we're very much encouraging innovation so that we've got a blend of the old and the new really because our traditions are hugely important and it's also important to encourage you know new things as well and twists on the traditional so um, lots of examples of that going on in Scotland. I know Scotland's year of food and drink is geared to uh, bringing tourists into the country to sample Scottish food mm-hmm. and drink, uh, and yet there are a number of people, there are millions of people around the world who have a an interest in Scotland. There are an estimated 50 million Scott diaspora around yes, the world. Yes, I know. It's quite incredible. It is quite amazing. Um, I know Scotland.org has begun a series of videos teaching people how to prepare various Scottish dishes, and they have a great number of recipes mm-hmm. uh, on their website. And I guess the question is for those folks even like myself who this year unfortunately probably will not make it back to Scotland mm-hmm. are there ways that we can get involved in or in, or partake or at least enjoy this year of food and drink yes. without necessarily being yes. in Scotland yes absolutely um, Twitter of course is, is a really good <laughs> we can't avoid social media now that's right big, so we're very active in social media um, and you know we're tweeting all the time related to the year of food and drink through Eat Scottish. So it's Eat underscore Scottish. Um, we have a really good blog called uh, called Eat Scottish as well. It's Eat hyphen Scottish, and there's some really interesting articles on there, features and recipes, um, you know, interviews with chefs or producers, info about events. So I think it should be of interest to anyone from around the world. Really, and we've just posted one today actually from a a fantastic chef who's uh, French but has been living in Scotland and running successful uh, restaurants in Edinburgh for, for a good number of years. And he um, was on the island of Barra recently 
and discovered baddest snails. So he's done a lovely piece for us on baddest snails. So that's a really good resource. So keeping up with social media, again, the Visit Scotland resources, there's loads of information on there. There's some great um, information about foodie trails uh, and also distillery trail. Um, we'd be you know, delighted to hear from anyone who's who's interested in Scottish uh, projects and just to connect uh, connect with us to Facebook and you know all these sort of channels. I get involved every month in uh, Scotland Hour, which is a Twitter chat about Scotland tourism and, yes, and etc. Yes, exactly. That's right. Yes. But there are also, um, I know there are uh, various Twitter chats that are foodie chats uh, That's right. in, in, yes. in Scotland. Yep. Uh, yes, once a month we have um, Scott Food Chat. That's the first Monday of, of every month, and that's linked to the monthly themes. So uh, July is Summer Fruits and Berries Month, so that will be all about our you know wonderful and delicious soft fruit. And then going into August is Delicious Dairy Month. Um, we'll be launching an ice cream trail, which will be very interesting. So we'll be a big focus on our ice cream and cheese and and milk and all the lovely dairy products. Now you're making me want to come to Scotland. That's, when you start talking <laughs> ice cream, I'm your guy. I know, I know. You need to come come soon. <laughs> There's oh, also another good uh, website called Scottish Food Guide. Um, that's another great resource again for finding about about, about food. Uh, and drink and also another I must mention the beautiful Larder Guides to Scotland these are published by the List magazine which the List um, write the eating and drinking guides uh, in, in Scotland but they produce these wonderful regional guides to uh, to Scotland and its uh, producers and they're all online so they can be downloaded quite easily um, there's, there's new regions coming on all the time I think Glasgow's going to be launched soon as is Dundee and we just had the Ayrshire published recently. But they're very interesting publications to read because they include stories about producers and, and chefs and where to eat, as, you know, practical information as well as really interesting information about that region and its, and its produce. So um, I'd love to chat all day long, and, and we probably could. Uh, <laughs> if, not, if not food and drink strictly, I know we could talk forever mm-hmm. about Scotland. Let me wrap things up and, and ask you a, a very simple question then. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to recommend one dish to uh, someone from abroad to go out and, and sample to say this is what you should taste to get a taste of Scotland, um, or if you were going to go out to dinner tonight, and I hope you will go out and, and put the tab on me. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Go to Three Chimneys, have them send the bill to me. <laughs> um, what would that oh, dish be? What would you recommend it, as it, a good it's starter? Very hard. It's very hard to pick just one. I mean, one thing, absolutely, an Arbro Smoky is a, is a, just a fantastic food experience. And, and for those who don't know, what is an Arbroath Smoky? Arbroath Smoky is a smoked hay haddock, and it's made in a very traditional, sort of age-old way, and it has protected food name uh, status. So the best, the best way to eat it is when you're outdoors. Really, get smoked outside in a big sort of wood, uh, a big sort of uh, wooden, uh, how to describe it. You all see all the all the smokies hanging up across a rack in a big kind of wooden basket type thing, and it's smoked outside. That is a delicious food experience. And um, if I was going to a restaurant, um, I think I would order a, a big platter of seafood because I think our our uh, longestine and scallops, our crab, you know, salmon. I think all these products are just gorgeous. So I think I would uh, definitely have a, a big platter of seafood. I think my uh, my friend, and I'm sure he's yours as well, uh, the Scottish travel writer, Robin McKelvey, 
would uh, would probably agree with you because every time I see him, he's having lobster and a glass of champagne. No matter mm-hmm. where he is in Scotland, he seems to dine yeah. on uh, the delicious well, seafood. It just because it, it's so delicious. And in fact, I was in North Berwick on Sunday, and there's a great place down by North Berwick Harbour. I don't know if you've been to North Berwick and East Lothian, and they have what they call the lobster shacks. It's a little it's a mobile unit that serves fresh lobster grilled with uh, with salad to do. Lovely uh, fish cakes, mussels, gorgeous, you know, sea bream, gorgeous sort of fresh fish and seafood. You sit, uh, you know, get it from a mobile unit. You sit outside by the harbour, and that's just uh, heaven. Heaven indeed. My thanks to Fiona Richmond, project manager for Scotland Food and Drink, for visiting with us and for helping to launch this new project under the tartan sky. Remember to visit the website www.underthetartansky.scot for show notes and links to resources for much more on this and each coming episode. I hope you'll consider subscribing to the podcast via iTunes, and if you like what you've found here under the Tartan Sky, please tell your friends and invite them to join us. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer, Tapalev Agus Alapa Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? We'll get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening.